All right. Thanks, Rachel. That was a good effort. It's been a while since we've had so many verses to read, but you've done a fantastic job. Um, so for those of you who, have, who haven't heard, it is nearing the start of Lent for this year. And because of that, we are going to join together in a Bible reading plan together for our church. We're going to start a new sermon series, and along that, we are going to be reading through the book of Isaiah, um, all 66 chapters between this Wednesday and Easter. So what we're going to do is each, um, each day, we'll probably post up uh, just a little short passage uh, that you guys can follow along and read at home. Uh, and then on the Sundays, we'll be taking the time to explore what you're actually reading, because not everything is always going to be as clear-cut and easy to understand. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an awesome opportunity to read this book. Um, I've been doing a little bit of myself, and yeah, it's just been an incredible, um, incredible journey so far. So that's kind of where we're at, and that's where we're starting. Um, but before we go any further, why don't you join me in prayer uh, before we start? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you for uh, being our God, being our God who cares for us and loves us, being a God who is fair and just as well. And Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you especially for the book of Isaiah that we can study and to learn from. Uh, Lord, we just ask that even today, uh, as we take a sneak peek at what's coming ahead, that you would um, bless this time that we have together. I uh, pray that the words that I speak would only be, be yours and yours alone, and may your spirit uh, fill me and empower me. Uh, to be able to, to share the message that you have prepared today. And so, Father, we thank you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So it was last year in April when Rach and I were thinking we need to go on a, a bit of a date night and we need to figure out where to go. And we thought, oh, man, there's a new movie coming out. It's the new Fantastic Beasts movie. And so we thought, oh, you know, it's the third one in the series, we, we should go and check it out. And we did what we normally do, go grab dinner, went to the cinema, got our bubble tea and sat down and we we're pretty excited. And, you know, we sat down and the movie started and we're like, oh, this is really exciting, this is really good. And then about 10 minutes in, we're like, this is still pretty good, but I mean, it's been a while since the last one came out and we can't really remember um, exactly what was going on. And the movie went on, and I'm usually pretty terrible with remembering storylines, and I was constantly asking, Rach, who's that? And normally, Rach is really good. She'd be like, that's the main character. Surely you know by now. It's been an hour into the movie. Um, but halfway through, she was like, I don't know. I don't, I don't recognize that person either. And so we were kind of confused, and at the end of the movie, we, we started driving home. We're like, eh, I mean, it was, it was an okay movie, um, but it was kind of confusing. We didn't really understand what was going on. And so we thought, oh, well, maybe it's because we just couldn't remember what happened in the second movie. And so we opened up YouTube and we um, pulled up a, one of those 10-minute recaps and we started watching it. And we're like, oh, this doesn't look familiar either. Wait a second, I don't think we've seen the second movie yet either. And so we got home and we're like, I think we need to watch the second movie before we can understand the third movie. And so it went on and, you know, we watched the second movie, we're like, oh, we can't really remember the first movie either. And so we sort of got into this thing where we realized, well, actually, if we'd watched all the movies beforehand, then we would so much more understand the one that we were in the cinema for. And I share this with you because we are starting this new book, we're starting this new series, and it's the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah isn't at the beginning of the Bible, it kind of comes halfway through. 
And so for us to be able to understand fully what the book of Isaiah is, we really need to have a bit of an understanding of what happened beforehand. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to try and set the scene. We're going to try and see, you know, what happened in the last couple of movies or the last couple of seasons in the Bible. And hopefully by doing so, when we actually start reading the book of Isaiah, we know what has happened. We know who the characters are. We know what the situation is. And that makes it so much easier for us to follow along. And so to start our recap, we have to go all the way back and we start with a man called Abram. And this is kind of like the season one, and this is the birth of the nation Israel. So Abram was just your regular old guy, and he was living his life, um, his best life, and one day God came to him, and he gave to him a promise. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 3, if anyone wants to follow along. And God says to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to this land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. In fact, I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Further along, God even says to Abraham, and not only that, to your offspring, I will give this land as well. And so this is a life-altering moment for Abram because he's just living his life in his home country and God says, go somewhere else, leave your stuff, go somewhere else and I'm going to make you great. Not only just you, but your children and your descendants. In fact, they're going to be so great that they're going to become this new country, this new nation that I'm going to use to bless the earth. And so Abram obeys and his whole family moves. His whole family moves to this new land And we see God fulfilling his purpose as we start to move through the Bible. We see his family growing and growing. And to a certain point, it reaches to a good two million people. This is like, this is now a big, big family. Abram's family moves and they sort of move around. And at some stage, they land in Egypt. And during this time, his family is not doing so well. This nation of Israel is not doing so well. They're in the land of Egypt, but they've actually been enslaved. And so we're following through this story of Abram's uh, family, this nation of Israel, and they're being living as slaves to the Egyptians, but then eventually a man called Moses rises up. A man called Moses comes up and he calls on God and he parts the Red Sea. And some of you may be familiar with this story, and all two million of these Israelites make it and they escape slavery out of Egypt. And as they get out of Egypt... They are in the desert, and God speaks to Moses, and he gives Moses a promise as well. God says, well, now you are not enslaved anymore. You're your own nation. You're a big group of people. But here's the deal. There are some certain things that I want you to do. There are some certain rules and laws that I want you to follow. These are for your good, but when you obey them, I will bless you. When you obey them, you will look different as a country to any other country around the place. And by doing so, you're going to be an example to the whole world. But if you don't do what I say, then these blessings will be taken away. You'll just end up the same as every other country around you. You will still be an example, but you'll be an example of what not to do. 
This is the promise that God gave to Moses and to this nation of two million people after they came out of Egypt. And so all the people, they say, yes, this sounds great. We want to be blessed. We want to grow as a nation. And they enter into this land that God had promised Abram all those years ago. They enter into this land of Canaan, what we call the promised land. And this is kind of where season one finishes. This is the story of the birth of the nation of Israel. Then the next season comes along, and it's the next 350 years, and we see this nation, Israel, in the promised land. How are they going to fare? Well, they're a new nation, and they're sort of loving life, and they're being blessed, and they're thriving, but as they thrive, they start to forget what God had said. It turns out that they weren't actually very good at obeying what God had commanded. And so they go into this cycle. They disobey God. They don't do the right thing. And so then they would get attacked. They would get bad things happen to them. They would lose their wealth. All the countries around them would start waging war against them. And as a result, there would be poverty, there would be famine. It would be kind of like going back into Egypt where they were enslaved and not living a good life. And at this point, the whole nation would then cry out to God and say, we've realized that we've done the wrong thing. We've realized that we needed to obey you. God, please come and save us. And so God would send a judge. God would send this person to come in, and he would lead them to victory. And Israel would celebrate. They'd be like, yes, we're now back to what it was before. They would celebrate, and they would say to God, all right, God, we know we've done the wrong thing. We're going to do the right thing this time. But a few years pass, and they forget, and then the same thing happens again, and again, and again, and again. For 350 years, this whole of season two is just Israel going around and around, obeying, then forgetting, disobeying, being judged, and then coming back. And around and around they go. 350 years later, then Israel kind of looks around this nation. They've been in this cycle, and they look around, they go, oh, actually, why is it that we're different from everyone else? All these nations around us, they all have a king And they have a king that can lead them in battle. They have a king that's strong. Why don't we have a king? And God says to them, remember, I gave you a promise. I said, I'm going to make you guys different. And to be different, you don't need a king because I'm your king. As your God, I'm your king. But Israel says, no, 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 I don't like that. I want to be like everyone else. And so God appoints Israel their first king. And this is kind of where season two ends. The time of this cycle of the judges finishes, and then suddenly we enter into the kingdom of Israel, season three. As we start season three, we see three different kings of Israel. We start to see Saul, and Saul steps up as the inaugural, the first king of this nation, Israel. It turns out that he wasn't a very good king. He didn't really follow God's commands very much, and he led Israel down a bit of a rabbit hole. And so then King David rises up to the throne, the most famous of all of Israel's kings. And here we pause because during King David's reign, God actually gives another promise. We've heard two promises. The first one was given to Abram, and that was all about, you know, I'm going to make your your family great. You're going to become a big nation. You're going to have land. Then the second promise was given to Moses to say that, well, I'm going to bless you, but you need to obey my commands. 
And now God gives this promise to David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God says, I'm going to make your name great. It's the same kind of language again. And I'm going to provide a place for my nation, Israel, where they're going to have a home forever. I'm going to give them land so that they will never be conquered again. You know, these last 350 years of you guys being invaded and invaded and all these wars happening, it's not going to happen ever again. In fact, from your descendants, David, from your family, there is going to be a king, a king that will rule forever. This was a huge promise because for Israel, they'd just gone through 350 years. You think today is the year 2000, 350 years ago was the 1600s. Australia wasn't even as we know it, um, wasn't even around back then. But imagine all of this time, all of these years, it was just this nation that kept on being invaded, kept on being oppressed, kept on having hard times. Of course, they would look forward to the king that would rule forever. So they hold on to this promise, and then when David dies, his son comes up to the throne, King Solomon. And King Solomon is known as the wisest king that ever lived. He is wise, and he is powerful, and Israel grows and grows and grows. They become more and more powerful. It sounds like this is great. But for all of Solomon's wisdom, he has one little flaw. Because instead of obeying God's command to say you should only have one wife, a fairly standard and fairly, I don't know, common sense rule to me, um, Solomon says, no, I'm going to marry 700 women, and I'm also going to have 300 concubines on the side as well. And it's at that moment that this then becomes the downfall of the kingdom of Israel. In fact, Solomon, with so many of these marriages, so many of them probably would have been political. He's trying to make alliances. He's trying to, you know, sow the seeds and make connections to all these other nations. But what he's doing is that he's not trusting God anymore. Instead of God being the one that he trusts for his strength and for his wisdom, he's now turning to other people. And as season three comes to a close, we start to see a downward spiral of this kingdom. This kingdom that started up with Saul and David and Solomon and had grown and become so powerful, at the death of Solomon, it goes into complete chaos. The nation of Israel is so chaotic that it splits into two. This kingdom, this nation that God had said, well, I'm going to make great, it's now fallen apart. Ten of the tribes have gone away and they've said, we're going to become the northern kingdom. And then two of them have said, well, we're going to become the southern kingdom. We're just going to cut ties. And so at the end of season three, the United Kingdom of Israel is gone. And so then we turn the page and we're now into season four. And we're getting close to where Isaiah comes into play. The United Kingdom of Israel has split and we now follow the story of two different kingdoms. We have the northern one and the southern one. As we read through the scripture in, during this time, the southern kingdom often is referred to as Judah. So you'll read through and you'll hear Judah or, you know, the, the land of Judah. And then you'll also hear the land of the northern kingdom, which confusingly is still called Israel. So we had the nation of Israel that was all one, but as they split into the north and the south, the northern part, they still call themselves Israel, and then the southern kingdom called themselves Judah. And for about 200 years, these two kingdoms kind of track along in their history, and we can read about it. They have about 30 kings over between the two of them in 200 years, 
And it turns out that nearly all of them were terrible. In fact, constantly the Bible summarizes them all by saying all of these kings, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They followed the sins of their fathers who were evil as well, and they caused Israel to commit these sins as well. And so the situation is getting pretty bad. We're getting to this point where God has given a promise to Abram to say, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless others because of you. He's given, he's given a promise to Moses to say, if you obey, then I will bless you and I will grow your land. He's given a promise to David to say, from your family, I'm going to raise up a king that will rule forever. But it doesn't look like it at all. The nation of Israel is split into two there's civil war all the time. And not only are they fighting amongst themselves, other people are invading them as well. It seems like they're just getting further and further away from what God's original promise was. They keep spiraling further and further away. And yet, what we actually see through all of these, all of these seasons is that God is still chasing them. Because all throughout this time, whenever Israel decides to go and decides to disobey God, it's always God that comes in to save the day. God comes in and brings a judge to save them from their oppression. God gives power to a king, even though that king is terrible, and they win their victories, and they can, be, they can find respite. It's always God. It's always God that saves them. But even though God keeps saving them, Israel just does not listen. They just don't get the fact that they need to obey God, and that's what God's calling them to. And so this is where Isaiah enters the story. We're now in 760 BC, and we have a look at the first verse of Isaiah, and it says, this is the vision concerning Judah. So Judah comes up, that's the southern kingdom. This is the vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah the son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. So Isaiah, he is the son of Amos, and he lived during the reigns of these four kings. But we have to ask, well, who is Isaiah? Who is this Amos? Well, tradition says that Amos is the brother of the king, and so really, actually, it means that Isaiah is the king's nephew. And all the way throughout the book of Isaiah, we're going to read and we're going to find that Isaiah often speaks to the king that is living at the time. And so it probably means that Isaiah is actually quite a high, high up person. Um, he's probably got quite an important role, maybe kind of, like a, kind of like a politician, maybe it's kind of like today working at Parliament House. But even though he was high up and he was doing this kind of work, his first and foremost job, as we see, is actually to be a prophet, to be a messenger of God. For those of you who will be joining us on our reading plan, you'll see this week in how God actually calls Isaiah to be a messenger for him. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, we read of how God says, Isaiah, you are to be my messenger. We also learn that Isaiah is married. He has a couple of sons, and his sons' names were prophetic in nature as well. I'm not going to try and read those names, but you guys will come across them, and I um, I don't know, I challenge you guys to see if you can say them all in one breath. But Isaiah was all in as a prophet for God. In fact, it wasn't just a side hustle for him. For him to be a messenger for God, that was everything that was part of his life. 
But what is the point? What is the message that Isaiah is bringing to this nation? Remember, we're in season four, and this kingdom has divided. We have the north and the south kingdom, and God has been watching this nation slowly just spiraling towards their destruction. And so God's message through the whole book of Isaiah can actually be summarized in three words, judgment, hope, and restoration. Isaiah was to bring a judgment to the people who were listening because God had made it clear when he first gave that promise to Moses all those years ago, obey my commands and I will bless you. But if you disobey, there will be consequences. There will be judgment for your sin. And so as this kingdom of Judah continued to sin and walk away from God, much of what Isaiah writes about is to say, hey, do you guys realize that you are sinning, that you are doing things that are against God's law? And because of this, you will be judged. In fact, verses 2 to 4, what Rachel read to us this morning says this. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, Isaiah says, Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children up and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. God is talking about this nation. The ox knows its master. The donkey knows its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. They don't understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we're going to see that Isaiah is going to call out sin. He's going to call out the ways that the nation is going to be or is disobeying God. He's not just going to do it for the southern kingdom. He's going to call out the sin of the northern kingdom. He's going to call out the sin of the nations around them. And with all of this, Isaiah stresses home a very important point that we'll see. And that is that sin will be judged by our righteous and holy God. That sin will be judged by our righteous and holy God. The God that we worship and that we know is a God who cannot tolerate sin. He is holy, he is just, and he is fair. So when there is sin, there must be judgment. There must be consequences for that sin. It can't be avoided. It couldn't be avoided for those people in Isaiah's day, and it can't be avoided today either. But then out of the doom and gloom, the second part of Isaiah's message comes through. That message is hope. And we see this in verses 16 to 20 in in, in chapter 1. Because God says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right and seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. We see that although God is a fair and a just God, God who needs to judge sin when sin comes, he also is a God of unrelenting grace and mercy. 
God knows that judgment must come, but also His grace and mercy and love means that He will keep calling Israel to come back, to say, judgment is coming, but come back to me. Come back to me. If you're willing, obedient, you will eat the good things of this land. So when we read Isaiah, it will feel like there's so much judgment. It will feel like there's no hope for these guys. But actually, it's not because that second message of Isaiah is that our hope is found in God alone. We're going to see that the nation of Israel is going to continue to try and go to other nations, go to their own devices to try and save themselves from judgment. But that's not what they need to do. God says, come to me because I am your only hope. And so finally, the last message is restoration. Remember in seasons one to three of our story, there are three promises that were given. The first one was to Abram, and God said, I will make you a great nation. It's not happening right now. This kingdom is split into two. We've already seen that he gave this promise to Moses, and that's coming true because, you know, they're not obeying God, and so therefore they are not living a good life. And then that third promise I will raise up a king from your line to rule the nations forever. It doesn't look like any of these things are happening at the start of the book of Isaiah. But God is a promise-keeping God. Let me read to you those last few verses from uh, verses 24 to 27. Therefore the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, I will vent my wrath on my foes and avenge myself on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you. I will thoroughly purge away your dross and remove all your impurities. I will restore your leaders as in days of old, your rulers as at the beginning, and afterward you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. What a message to give to these people, to say that even though your nation is spiraling down, to be ruins, there will be restoration. God says, I will restore your leaders. Not I might, I will restore your leaders. This message here is that God will fulfill all of his promises. When he's made a promise, he will always follow through on it. He will do this. And that is this third message that Isaiah brings, that our God is a promise-keeping and restorative God. So even as we've worked through chapter 1 of Isaiah, we've seen this package of judgment, of hope, and of restoration. But what you'll find is as you read through the book of Isaiah, this book is beautifully constructed. And it's not just here's a chunk of judgment and here's a chunk of hope and here's a chunk of restoration. The creativity that Isaiah had means that he incorporates this theme and it sort of weaves in and out throughout the book. And so as we read through this, we see the judgment, the hope, the restoration in chapter one. But when you zoom out a little bit, during this week, as you start this reading plan, you'll see that same pattern happen across chapters one to five. As you zoom out a little bit more, you'll see this pattern happen across the whole book as well. And you'll find that Isaiah isn't just a book that's a story. It's not just meant to be read like a narrative, but instead it's to be read with this theme in mind, that there is judgment, that there is hope, but there is restoration. So this is where we're at. This is a little bit of a summary of where we are going to start our reading plan for Isaiah. 
But I'm sure the question that is in all of our minds right now is, so what? Why should I care? I mean, Isaiah's book was written, and it was written to the Israelites back then. That was 760 BC. What does it matter to me now? What does it matter to our church right now that we are reading it during Lent? Well, the book of Isaiah displays God's heart for rebellious people. The nation of Israel had rebelled against God constantly for years and years and years and years, but that's not too dissimilar from us today because we too rebel against God every day in our actions. When we read through the book of Isaiah, we see God's heart and His desire for Israel to come back to Him, and God's heart is the same today. He desires for us to come back to Him as well, even when we rebel against Him. Our hope is found in God, and ultimately, He will restore His people, and He will bless them as He originally designed. And so as we enter into this series, there's a few questions that we should be asking ourselves. As we read through the warnings of judgment in Isaiah, we should ask ourselves, how are you and I rebelling against God like Israel did? When we look at the sins of the nation of Israel, can we see some of our sins reflected in what they were doing? When we read this book as a church together, are there any things that our church as CCMA that are doing that also is mirrored by Israel's sin? As we go through the book of Isaiah and we read of the hope that God offers, how will you and I be encouraged that no matter how terrible our sin has been, no matter how much we've walked away from God, God will still offer hope for us to come back. And then when we read of the restoration that God promises for Israel, how will you and I be encouraged to know that God is a promise-keeping God, that no matter what happens, if God has said it in His Word, He will do it. If He says that He loves us, then He will love us no matter what. How will you be encouraged as you read those promises? You know, these are the questions that both Jeffrey, my brother, and myself have been pondering. We're going to be bringing you this series over the next couple of months, and we're very excited um, for this series. I also won't lie, because even as we were plotting out the plan, it's going to be hard work, but also that's what Lent is about. Because as Easter looms closer and closer, Lent is a time where we commit to focus on God. And one of the ways that we can do that is to commit to spend time in His Word. And so I don't expect it to be easy. I expect that I probably will miss a few days here and there as well. But it is through the Holy Spirit, through the whole series that we've just had just before this, that's saying that it's through the Holy Spirit that will empower us, that will teach us, that will give us what we need to be able to carry it through to be able to spend this time with God throughout Lent, to be able to spend the time in Isaiah to understand what it means for us today. But really, I pray that as a church, throughout this week, we will make that commitment, not just ourselves, that we will commit together as a church to take this opportunity to read, to reflect, and grow closer to God through His Word this season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Isaiah. 
we thank you that even as we've taken such a quick summary of it, we see that the theme is that there is judgment for sin, there is hope in you, and that you will provide restoration. And Lord, we know that this message was so relevant and was so important to the people back in the day when Isaiah spoke them, but they are still so important for us today as well. And so Lord, I pray that as we commit on this journey to read through this book, to read, to be in your word, that you would show us where there is sin in our lives, that you would show us that our hope is only in you, that we must turn back to you, and that you would show us the promises that you give for restoration for our sin. So Father, we thank you so much uh, for being able to get started into this word. And yes, Lord, I pray that we will be able to commit and we will be able to follow through and just grow so much throughout this season. We pray these things in your name.